Welcome to Morbid Symptoms, the podcast of the Time of Monsters newsletter. Last December, in introducing Linda Hirschman um, on a previous episode, I described her as the Cassandra of uh, the American left, um, highlighting uh, her many um, statements uh, and books and articles over the years uh, that called attention to the danger of um, Roe v. Wade being overturned and emphasizing the radicalism of the anti-choice movement and how this was not just a sort of a politics of uh, symbolism, but an actual legitimate political goal um, that the um, religious right in the United States had of um, overturning abortion rights uh, and going far beyond the pre-Roe um, uh, world and having a, like a you know an active theocratic state um, uh, 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 where there is no uh, uh, reproductive freedom. Now the trouble with Cassandra is that she's always right. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, the uh, you know the the it turned out you shouldn't have let that uh, Trojan horse into the city, uh, and it turned out that uh, Linda's warnings um, were very uh, uh, exactly well placed. Uh, we I'm recording this uh, in the morning after uh, uh, leaks from the Supreme Court make it clear that there's going to be. Uh, it looks like there's a five four. Um, majority for overturning Roe in a decision like, you know, shockingly written by uh, Justice Alito, who's like, you know, um, people like sort of rag on Clarence Thomas, but in some ways Alito is the most reactionary member of the court. Uh, and uh, uh, so it's, it's you know, uh, Linda was right. And um, I wanted to uh, uh, bring her back to like, you know, what she thinks uh, is, uh, uh, happening now. So maybe one should perhaps just start by, uh, I, I think one has to be really clear about like just how radical this decision is. And like, you know, um, and there are people who are like, oh, said that they weren't expecting it. I mean, like uh, Susan Collins, uh, Senator from Maine has had this kind of like act of, oh, I'm shocked, shocked that this is happening. I was told by Kavanaugh and uh, uh, Gorsuch that they would never do this. Uh, but so, so yeah, Linda, uh, welcome. I'm, I wish I had you on better circumstances, but uh, let's talk about this. So, so just how radical is this decision, uh, this uh, draft decision that is going to so happen? So, if this becomes the actual decision, this is basically the equivalent to the moment when the horse opened its belly and the Greek army came pouring out into the city of Troy, which they then sacked killing its rulers and enslaving its people. That's how radical this is. And um, it just can't comfort to me that I predicted it and, I, and all of the emails that I've been getting from friends and family this morning begin, dear Cassandra. Um, the, uh, there are basically two, radical aspects to this decision. One is the social agenda that it advances, a radical social agenda. Um, the Abrahamic religions, Catholicism, Protestantism, Judaism, Islam, have in their fundamentalist manifestations um, 
always been the core of the uh, anti uh, of the opposition to women's reproductive freedom. Um, so there is the uh, we love to a fertilized cell part of this movement, um, but to deprive women of the option of having abortions is simply the wedge of the larger movement to reestablish fundamentalist patriarchy, patriarchal sexual relationships in the United States. So it means that first you stop women from being able to get abortions. Then, and I want to circle back to that for a moment and debunk the, oh, it'll be okay, they'll just go to the blue states business, which is the liberals' way of avoiding their responsibility for stopping this. Um, but first you stop women from getting abortions. Then you stop people from using birth control. That would be the preceding case to Roe called Griswold versus Connecticut. Then you stop uh, women from getting equal pay. And um, then you stop uh, gays and lesbians from marrying, and then you stop them from having sex without violating the criminal law. So what are you doing with all of these rollbacks? You are reestablishing the white, patriarchal, heterosexual, I don't want to say traditional because marriage has taken a million forms in the last thousand years, but uh, uh, let's say Victorian to invention of the pill, traditional conventional marriage. Right? This is an unbelievably retrograde a political and social movement. I mean, think about um, a reestablishing women's helplessness, their inability to own property to in their own name, to hold their paychecks their dependency upon their fathers and then their husbands. Um, you know, nothing in American history is as bad as chattel slavery, but I mean, those guys on the Federalist Society are really doing their best to see how close they can come. Women are more than half the population of the American Republic and women of childbearing age and marital age, so more. And of course, one of the many things that these red states are going to do next is lower the age of consent for marriage and sex, right? So that they can have girl wives who will be more obedient. Um, Where are you doing that? I mean, like, I think, uh, was it uh, Tennessee? Like, uh, yeah. other places, there, uh, th that's happening. It's not, uh, not a dystopian science fiction novel. No, I, I, it is not. Um, it, you know, remember, I wrote my dystopian novel 15 years ago. So, um, uh, it's, it's, but I want to pull those threads together. I want people to see that this is not just about, oh, well, if you live in Texas, you'll have to fly to California to get your abortion and everything in life will remain the same. That is false. Mm -hmm. This is the beginning of an attempt to reestablish conventional heterosexual patriarchal sexual regime. It is not unrelated to the don't say gay business in Florida and the other states, okay? It is not, uh, you know, there. it is unimaginable to me. I've been studying this for 50 years. It is unimaginable to me that um, you could repeal Roe v. Wade and KCV Planned Parenthood and leave standing 
the um, case that struck down uh, the Defense of Marriage Act and then established the constitutionality of same-sex marriage, Obergefell, the second case is Obergefell. Um, those cases are completely rooted in the uh, analysis and the constitutional structure established in Roe and the cases that preceded Roe. So, so all of the um, ability of human beings to pursue their sexual um, uh, orientation or in inclination or random passing fancy, I don't actually care what it is, um, uh, outside of the patriarchal norm are going to fall. So what is life going to be like? Life is going to be a lot like what um, uh, Margaret Atwood portrayed in The Handmaid's Tale. I try to give people an idea of what the road would look like when I said, okay, they're going to, I said in 2000, they're going to do, I said in 2005, they're going to do what they just did last night. Okay. And what does that mean? That means that we go back to the pre-Civil War divided nation, right? A nation divided against itself. So there will be uh, rights to abortion in the blue states, but not in the red states. That doesn't look as terrible as The Handmaid's Tale, but what comes next is on two fronts. The Republicans and the conservative movement will try to take over the federal government. And they will do that two ways. First, they will now lean on the very radically conservative Supreme Court to issue an opinion that fetuses are people under the, are persons under the 14th Amendment. Okay, that would then make abortion, uh, that would then make abortion unconstitutional um, in all the states, red and blue. Mm -hmm. Okay, and pursuant, well, okay, so pursuant to that authority, if they take over the Congress and the presidency, or they simply take over the Congress and abolish the filibuster, they will, they will pass a na national criminal anti-abortion law. So all the states will be red states. Okay, so it's going forward on the federal, on two bases. They don't have to change one single person in one single office to generate a ruling in a coming case that fetuses are persons under the 14th Amendment. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I think that's a really crucial point. This whole doctrine of fetal personhood, um, in, in some ways, I mean, the, uh, you know, we talk about rolling back to, you know, the 50s or to the Victorian era, but this is actually like much more radical than anything that existed uh, at, at that time. I mean, one sees it in sort of, you know, regimes um, uh, like Nicaragua or Poland that have had a rollback where with like sort of like modern technology and modern notions of like personhood, once you get um, these new anti-abortion laws, uh, they like invade every aspect of life. Uh, basically, like if you think, if you believe in fetal personhood um, and abortion is illegal, then every miscarriage is a crime scene. Like every yes, every, right. There is also the prosecution of people who have had no agency, no mens rea, no willful uh, termination of the pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. But 
you know, since I do not regard abortion as criminal, I actually do not distinguish between people who willfully end their pregnancy and people whose pregnancy is accidentally ended. It's like the discussion about whether being gay is from birth or something that you learn. Right. I don't care. I don't think it's wrong. So I'm not interested in it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the, uh, the women will be, if, if, if without a single change in personnel, the Supreme Court of the United States next June or the June after next issues an opinion in a case that fetuses are persons for purposes of the 14th Amendment, um, then all of the enforcement mechanisms, including the self-enforcing aspects of the 14th Amendment, which we manage to ignore when it's directed at insurrectionists in Congress, will be available to people who want to, um, anywhere in blue states who want to stop the, uh, they will say that providing abortion care in New York is a violation of the civil rights of the fetus and therefore civilly and criminally illegal under the existing civil rights laws. Listen to me, this is not just law professor talk. This is actually Cassandra talking. And I'm telling you that structure is completely in place. Yeah, no, no, I, no, I think that's, I mean, I think that's very persuasive. And I just wanna give a little political edge to this just in terms of, you know, this is a movement that has, you know, carried off an incredible heist in a sense of like, you know, like, uh, you know, like Roe was, you know, not just decided, but it was like, um, I forget the exact numbers. Was it like seven, two or was it? Uh, it was seven, two. So, so like a very strong majority, um, um, and you know, like uh, through a process of political organization for fifty years, they've carried out and of like breaking every norm of you know, like um, in terms of like trying to get their people in. You know, starting with I would not just starting with, but I think including I think um, uh, Bush v. Gore is part of this. That, you know, oh, no, Bush v. Gore is absolutely part yeah. of this, of course. Uh, you know, like not um, uh, letting uh, Obama, uh, 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 his uh, nominee, Garland, get a hearing. Uh, the 2016 election and like everything that was involved with that. Um, you know, Kennedy resigning. Uh, you know, like it's, it's, it's like just incredible what they've done. They've, you know, like gone um, by hook or by crook like have a, a sort of like maximalist pursuit to get to this moment of overturning Roe. And I think there's a kind of, there's a school of complacent thought that thinks, well, you know, they've gotten this now and that this will like uh, demobilize their vote, uh, supporters. And like, that's absurd. Like, you know, you've gotten what you wanted, but that's not all you want. And now you're like empowered to like, you know, really go for broke. Like, why would they stop here? Why I have absolutely no idea. It's like saying like Kristallnacht was enough for the Nazis and therefore they wouldn't do anything else to the Jews. It's insane. Uh, you know, I'm completely be, I'm completely, but, but it wouldn't, the events you just recounted would not have happened if American voters of reasonable um, persuasion cared about women and women's political authority and women's citizenship in the American experiment and women's rights and their well-being. Because there are many points at which 
the outcomes that you describe could have gone the other way. If, vo right, okay, if voters didn't actually object to Al Gore appearing in a brown suit or claiming that he invented the internet, right? Every trivial, risible objection to liberal candidates was effective, right? They preferred Ralph Nader. Ralph Nader ran, right? And at each decision point along the story you just told, if liberals had acted collectively to protect women's rights, the Democrat would have been elected and the court would not currently be stacked with Federalist Society and uh, patriarchal revivalists, okay? So it is, it, it is certainly, it was well before 2000 because KCV Planned Parenthood is already a 1992 decision. So the threats to, the, um, to abortion rights and all the subsidiary rights started um, in 70. Five really, um, so seventy six. So, um, uh, but there were many points along that trail at which people could have said, "Listen to Linda. If we vote for Ralph Nader, we are going eventually to strip women of their citizenship. If we vote." For, and of course, we could never get a national, even when the um, Democrats had big majorities in Congress and controlled the White House and the Obama administration, they couldn't get protection for abortion rights passed in the form of a national statute. Although I will say this, a national statute is no protection against a militant Supreme Court. It is no protection. No. If they, if the Congress passes a law saying abortion is legal everywhere in the United States, the Supreme Court of the United States will simply say that the Constitution did not empower Congress to pass such a law. They struck down part of the Violence Against Women Act on that argument. Or they will say that the 14th Amendment protects the fetuses and that law is unconstitutional. So you, you at some point, you have two choices with regard to the Supreme Court. You can direct all your political action to changing the composition and behavior of the Supreme Court, or you can do what Abraham Lincoln did and not obey it. Yeah, no, I'm really glad you kind of uh, uh, brought that point up. And I think this is going to be a topic of a future discussion because you have a book about the uh, uh, lead up to the Civil War, the abolitionist movement, which is very relevant. But I, I, I do think that, that that is a kind of key issue. Like if you have um, the courts are so powerful and they have been stacked with people that are like, you know, so hostile, um, you know, to liberty and not not just on the issue of reproductive no. freedom, but like on a broad range of issues. Um, yeah, the, the, then yeah, yeah, the power of the courts should then become a political um, uh, issue. And as you mentioned, like like Lincoln, uh, you know, um, uh, offers one path, uh, and but not just Lincoln. I mean, I think like FDR in his FDR kind of and Andrew Jackson. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So, so there is like a, uh, uh, I mean, I, I think that's a very uh, kind of uh, plausible path forward. It's a real question though. I mean, like for the Democrats, you know, like the party as it exists seems like very wedded to the existing political system, uh, even when it, it gives them like very like bad results. 
Um, and I'm not sure that, you know, like the sort of, uh, you know, the, the real question is like, does the Democratic Party have what it takes to do, you know, um, the kind of like um, challenge to judicial power that might be needed? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that women's rights has always been a stepchild of American liberalism. It was written into the Civil Rights Act of 1964 as partly as a joke by a uh, conservative senator from um, the South and um, partly as an effort to stop the passage of the Racial Civil Rights Act. So from the beginning, women's rights, the prohibition against discrimination on the basis of sex and employment was partly a joke and partly an effort to defeat the Civil Rights Act. So we have always been stepchildren of the liberal movement and of the Democratic Party. And part of that, and you know, right. I mean, don't get me started on the subject of liberal men who are absolutely better than conservative men. As Henny Youngman said in his famous line, how's your wife, Henny, compared to what? But being better than conservative men is not a real big achievement, in my opinion. And, um, and liberal men have only been marginally better. They don't actually see women as players in the social contract game. And the reason that they do not see us as players in the social contract game is that we don't act like players. So the, the, um, the failure of white women, let's call it what it is, black women vote overwhelmingly democratic, but white women do not. And the failure of white women to use their suffrage power to, to dictate, to Get, come to the bargaining table mm. in the in the um, in Democratic America and in the big D Democratic Party. They don't act like they belong at the bargaining table. They don't get treated like players. And when you're not a player, your rights are always secondary. So from the beginning, you know, just look at the. Um, I don't know, you know, Ralph Nader, the Jill Stein voters, apparently there were enough Jill Stein voters to flip the outcome in the relevant states in 2016, right? Everybody's got an interest that matters more to them than women's citizenship because women's citizenship depends on women's ability to control their reproduction. There's a reason why votes for women rose along with the arrival of family planning and viable birth control methods before, you know, including abortion, but before the pill. So um, women's citizenship depends on our ability to form families at our own choosing and to control our, our role in, and to undo the hierarchy of patriarchal society. It is absolutely dependent. And that is never as important to people as the most trivial other interest. And you ask yourself, why would liberals who are children of the Enlightenment and purport to believe in democracy and equality constantly devaluing women? And the answer is, if you don't act like you deserve power, you don't get treated like you have power. Yeah, no, I think that's that's very uh, uh, on point. And uh, I mean, um, our uh, mutual friend, Rebecca Traster, uh, has a very good um, article in New York Magazine, 
where she just talks about the the low priority that's been given to this issue and the way that it's always been put on the back burner. Um, and yeah, I mean, I agree with documented you. documented it brilliantly as she always does. There's nobody who uh, states the case as well as Rebecca Traster. But I just want to add that being having been trained as a Hobbes scholar in graduate school, um, I see the deep you know, social contract substrate of the picture that Rebecca paints. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, well, I, I mean, it is interesting to think about uh, it in those terms of like the social contract. And in some ways, I mean, it's always the case that the, the, the subject of the social contract has been implicitly male, like sort of default male in people's conception of it, the political agent who's like, you know, and, and to, uh, to take in women as full citizen, which means acknowledging that like, you know, reproductive freedom is part of citizenship. Like a lot of people have not been willing to make that step. Like, it and just they don't see women as fully entitled to citizenship. Um, and so, and so even if one could um, convince them that reproductive rights are critical to citizenship, the unspoken next answer is we don't actually see you as citizens. And it's also a racial contract as my teacher, Charles Mills said in his great book. Um, so the subject has always been both male and white in the, in its um, enlightenment origins, but yeah. the the specialization people have, you know, like the sort of the mental map that people have of what citizenship is. There's a kind of uh, default mode where it's like the sort of white male citizen is the right. subject, right? Like, and it is certainly possible to claim a seat at the table, as for example, Japan tried to do in the run up to World War II. Um, it's very possible, but you have to see yourself as a player. That's why I thought that in Victory, the Triumphant Gay Revolution, I thought the gay movement actually had a better chance of succeeding in America than the feminist movement did. We will see what happens now. But um, after the AIDS epidemic, uh, gay activists who were mostly white and male in the effective branches of the movement um, saw themselves as entitled to citizenship and they acted like it, yeah. right? All out of proportion to their numbers. Women are so numerous, we could have it in an election. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I think that's, uh, uh, that's very sort of like a very point, very uh, on point comparison. Although I'll note, I mean, like in the sort of um, uh, a little draft, I mean, he's kind of trying to have it a little bit both ways, but he mentioned, I mean, it, it's very strongly suggested that, you know, like um, he thinks that uh, there were other decisions that were like wrongly decided, including the uh, marriage equality decision, the sodomy decision, Lawrence, like he- named Yeah, and right. we're gonna make your, the act that distinguishes you from us criminal. Yes, yes, yes. Right. I mean, it's right, it, it is completely- And he well, there's another thing that, he thinks is wrongly decided. But then he also says that like abortion isn't a class by itself. So the suggestion, I mean, like I read that, it's an ambiguous passage in Alito's decision. And I read that as almost like a kind of like threat, like, like you know, well, we could also be overturning all those things. We won't, we'll just stop here if you like let us give us this, but we could, you know, like it's, it's a nice little marriage equality 
uh, that you have. You'll be, be, be a pity if anybody takes it down. And actually, um, what they're doing is, um, it's a lot like Bush v. Gore, where the court said, well, this actually only applies to this election and can't be cited in any other cases. Yeah, that's right. so, but of course, it's now being cited in many of those in the bad voting decisions, right? They're, they're citing Bush v. Gore for the uh, legislative supremacy and stuff. So it's, it's, it's always there, it's lying in wait. My read of what Alito is saying is that we'll see how politically costly it will be to take on the gay movement. Yes, that's right, that's right. right. Yeah, that yeah. would be my analysis. It's, it's sort of like testing the waters a little bit. Correct. Right? Yeah, and they see women as helpless and they correctly see women as helpless because white women don't vote democratic in enough numbers to protect their rights. And part of that, just in another social contract metaphor, is they are is they are scabs, they're free riders, and they make private agreements with their husbands and lovers and fathers, and not then husbands and lovers. So heterosexual white women make a private bargain, and then they defect from the collective interest of women to be citizens. And of course, that private bargain that they've made, placing their whiteness above their uh, identity as women and, and their interests as women and um, placing their Southern culture and the other things that they prefer over the, uh, their fate at, as women, that, that bargain um, uh, means that there aren't enough women to keep the liberal men at the table with them. Yeah, no, I think that's a very uh, powerful uh, analysis. And I mean, to me, where it sort of points to um, is the, the need to like mobilize as women um, in, in a way that like, you know, goes beyond the um, uh, issues of like who's in the court. Uh, but like, you know, to have an active social movement uh, the way that, you know, you did uh, uh, have with um, uh, uh, the marriage equality that the, you know there's like a, a wider uh, gay rights social movement you know that was especially actually activated by the AIDS crisis and right. up and uh, that, that that if you have you know if you have you need people that are willing to go out on the streets people are willing to like defy the law um, yeah and there might be I mean we we it'd be interesting to see how much of that we uh, we actually get um, the, I was just reading a very interesting article by Michael Harris about um, uh, abortion providers who are willing to defy the law. And, you know. Uh, Good, yeah, because yeah. they're going to have to. I actually was in Chicago when Jane, the uh, before Roe v. Wade, there was Jane, the Women's Abortion Collective, which provided abortion safe. They never lost a patient. Um, abortions to women before Roe. So there may have that they are the underground railroad and there may have to be an underground railroad, which is criminal in the states where, you know, and that was criminal in the slave states and stuff. Um, and then actually was illegal in the North as well after the Fugitive Slave Act. So there may have to be an underground railroad, but there wouldn't have to be an underground railroad if women would simply go to the polls in November and make the Republicans pay a huge price for what they're doing. Elect a Democrat governor of Florida. That would be a message mm -hmm. um, that would say to the Republican party, okay, 
this is a losing strategy for you. And then you would see them start to back away because they don't care about anything but power. So, um, so, but that, that would, that would be better. The, the plurality of Americans who elected Abraham Lincoln and ultimately a Republican Congress in 1860 um, mattered more than the Underground Railroad. Yeah, no, no, I, the, 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 I think that makes sense. Well, but, I, but that only, I think, can happen if the Democrats as a party, like sort of prioritize uh, reproductive freedom, if they say, and I, I think there's some indication like from some of Biden's statements this morning, that, you know, like they will say in the midterms, like, you know, like reproductive freedom is on the line. You give us, you know, because they have Manchin and Casey, they actually need like 52. So you give us 52, 53 senators right. and the Democratic Congress, and we will, you know, codify Roe. Uh, and, then, and and if necessary, expand the court. The court then strikes down the codification of Roe under an uh, interpretation of the Fourteenth Amendment that makes fetuses persons, or under an interpretation of the Fourteenth Amendment or the Commerce Clause that says that Congress doesn't have the power to enact a nationwide abortion protection law. Hello. Yeah. So but, there are many things the court can do. At some point, they're going to have to take a, if the. But I think. If a tidal wave of white women voters takes over Congress and say elects the Democrat in Florida and other symbolic significant outcomes, then I think the court will be scared. And I also think that the Congress will start will find their courage to take on the court. There are many things they can do besides expand the court. So let me say this, though. I've been following the discussion since somebody sent me a Dear Cassandra email last night. And uh, here's the trap. The trap is the well-meaning people who are saying it's not going to be that bad. Mm -hmm. Okay. These are the people who say that horse looks like a present to us. Wasn't that nice of them to leave a horse for us? The, uh, the people who say you can always travel to the blue states. The red states, this is of course the subject of my novel, the red states are going to pass laws saying you can't leave to get an abortion. And if you leave to get an abortion and we catch you, when you come back, we're gonna put you in jail. And in the meanwhile, our civil suits are going to produce judgments against you and cost you your house, your bank account, your savings, your pension, your little car. They're going to, right? So there's a poor woman in Texas who drives to, goes to California to get an abortion. State of Texas has um, uh, undercover police at the abortion clinics Mm -hmm. taking pictures and they catch her and they have a civil suit against her, which they can already do under SBA. And, um, they, they strip her of all of her possessions. What are her options then? There is no fleeing to another state if you can't come back, okay? You lose your job, you lose your contact with your children, you lose your circle of friends and family, you lose your house. That's the first thing. It's not an answer. And I wish that my liberal friends would stop suggesting that this is a minor thing because you can always go to California. The second thing is you cannot, it's like uh, 
sleep, uh, sleeping pills. You cannot offer people the anesthetic of the pill-based abortions because they're like, oh, it's nothing. You just sit at your computer and you send an order to the Mifepristone or however you pronounce that word, uh, providers in California and then they mail it to you and they certainly can't open every single package that comes into the mail. So there are two answers to that. One is you can get a search warrant on the on people's internet accounts and simply search for people who are reaching out for, on their computers for the website that offers the Mifepristone order. That's the first thing. The second thing is you can um, uh, uh, trace, it, you know, remember if it's criminal, the police can get search warrants to trace your emails. Mm -hmm. The police can get search warrants to um, search the records of the pharmacies for who's buying pregnancy tests. So that whole workaround with the mailed in mifepristone is completely vulnerable to the same law enforcement mechanism that has been applied to people trying to buy drugs online or whatever they care to enforce. So these are, these are drugs for the liberals. Yeah. to enable us to say it's not going to be so bad. Yeah, no, no, I think the total sort of Band-Aid solutions and also, uh, you know, like they fall into this trap of thinking that there's sort of voluntary individual solutions when the actual uh, thing at stake is state power, you know? It's like who controls state power and do the people who control state power, you know, um, uh, recognize women as citizens. Like th that is what is at issue. You know, I've heard people like all sorts of fanciful solutions. People are saying, well, um, the, um, um, you know, some rich billionaire can like uh, give plane tickets to women in Texas if they want to fly out. Like as if, you know, like, and they all sort of fall to me into this trap of sort of volunteerism and of like uh, uh, individualistic, um, uh, solutions when it's a, it's a collective problem and you actually need, um, first of all, like a, a social movement that like is, makes this a, a political priority and then is willing, is uh, able and willing to take state power and uh, enshrine it inside uh, law. It's completely fanciful. That's like, you know, the Jews used to say in Russia, if only the czar knew what the local people were doing to the Jews. This isn't completely fanciful. But even assuming that you could do it, let's assume that you were Mackenzie Bezos. You turned out to be, because women never make money at that level, the marital heir to half of Jeff Bezos' fortune. Mm -hmm. And you spend, you spent every penny of that money getting plane tickets to women in Texas to go to California, all the Texas authorities have to do is follow the path of the women applying to the Mackenzie Bezos Foundation for plane tickets and strip them of their possessions in Texas and make it impossible for them ever to come back to Texas because they're criminals. But even if you could get around that, the symbolic lesson that we, America, allowed our government to do that to women bleeds out into every other aspect of the social condition 
even to things like whether unions can organize healthcare industry, which is heavily women, even to um, whether women can um, are entitled to sue for equal pay. They already struck down part of the Violence Against Women Act. It is staggeringly politically damaging. So they haven't started calling us cockroaches yet, but it, it distances women from the dignity of being members of the social contract. And then they can do anything to you it will be letting rapists out of jail will be repealing the law that makes marital rape criminal because after all, you got married and therefore you must have consented to have sex anytime. There are a thousand ways in which the, if women stand by and our male liberal allies and our otherwise interested in Jill Stein female liberal allies allow the state to do this to women, then the consequences are much greater than the particular abortion. Yeah, no, I think I, I think that's right. Like it is a, uh, I, I'm very grateful to uh, uh, have your analysis here because I, I think it, it, uh, it frames it in the widest possible terms, uh, uh, which is this massive um, assault on the citizenship right of all women. Uh, and um, the sort of repercussions of that are uh, going to be devastating. Uh, but then also, I mean, I, I feel like uh, I want listeners to also have a sense um, that, you know, like you have also offered the alternative path, which is the path of pursuing political power uh, to assert um, uh, citizenship rights, uh, which seems like to me the only real path. Mackenzie Bezos, if you're listening, stop giving to the dance companies and give it all to the Democratic Party. It is the only possible way that we can take power for the majority of Americans. And, uh, and then everything else flows from that. No, I've I never understood why people think you ought to privately finance any of this stuff. The Republicans don't think, the conservatives didn't think that. They're like, we'll take over the Republican Party and then we'll control the United States Treasury. <laughs> that's right, that's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, the, the trillions that the federal government control are bigger even than the, the billions that the billionaires have. Uh, you got it. That's right, so it's, it's, I mean, that's where power... Uh, is although I I just want to add one proviso to the Democratic Party though you also have to make the Democratic Party you know sit up you have to change the party itself and change its internal dynamics and make it you know like much more willing to take on the courts to uh, either pack the courts or limit you have to like you know change rewire the Democratic Party to to conduct this fight so so I, I think I think those that, that's the two steps that are needed. That is 100% correct. But, you know, if I had her purse strings, I could think of ways that the Democratic Party would have to change. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, so I, 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 I mean, the thing is, the party, I mean, fortunately, it's not just reliant on uh, billionaires um, uh, the, like her. Right. There's, you know, the party gets a lot of money and gets a lot of money from individual donors. And then I, I think it's really up to the people, you know, who are part of the party to like, to, to change it and to, to um, give it the sort of priorities, um, you know, that you want. I mean, like that seems to be 
uh, one of the necessary steps? I can't tell from my silo here in liberal New York City, whether um, the conversation among enough women in the, out there in the physical world is changing and it's too soon also. Um, this is a shock. Women's capacity for false consciousness is deep and wide. So I don't know if it's going to change enough women's minds to make for real electoral consequences, but um, uh, I just don't know yet what's going to happen. But that is the, that is the necessary and sufficient condition. And if anyone is listening, know that a tsunami of um, defections from the Republican Party by white women voters would would really change the uh, landscape tremendously. And there are many elections where that actually can make a huge difference. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think that's, uh, that's right. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I think um, this has been, I, I, I think one, um, instead of just closing out, you know, one, uh, I don't think one should underestimate, and I don't think we have underestimated what a terrible day this is, what a terrible loss this is. Uh, but then, but then there's a path of struggle uh, that's open, and that uh, the, uh, the, that can, um, you know, like take uh, to to undo the damage that's been done. Yes, the abolitionists proved that to us, didn't they? There were twelve of them in 1832. Good. So thank you, Linda, uh, once again. And uh, uh, you. Uh, you know, I wish it was under happier occasion, but it's always. Um, I always learn a lot talking to you. The same.